0: Listening to the Magnet
1: Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. My guest today is Stefan Chouette. I got it right, right?
0: Yes, thank Fabulous. you.
1: Fabulous. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. Stefan performs at the UCB Theater on Harold Night with some kid, and also as a member of the UCB Touring Company. Welcome to the podcast, man.
0: Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a
1: privilege. Thank you. Uh, uh, This is a a little bit of a cross-pollination. I appeared a couple of years ago on your podcast, Impro Noise. Mm -hmm. So now it's nice. We're getting, uh, if this feels kind of like, when uh, Ted Danson showed up on Frasier. <laughs>
0: That's true. That's true. You are you are the best, uh, wackiest, recurring <laughs> character of improv noise, and now i get a special guest spot on this uh, sitcom here. Yeah. Super excited. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> um, I want to
1: talk a little bit about, uh, just background before we get into some improv theory. Evan, who's sitting to my left, is very excited because he believes that this episode will be not that I should promise what it's going to be going into it, but he <laughs> believes this is going to be one of the great classics of improv nerd chat.
0: Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> so we'll get into some improv
1: nerd stuff in just a little bit. But I'd like to catch up on background a little bit. Sure. So you're currently at UCB on Harold Knight and uh, with Torco.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How did you get started, and how did you arrive? How did you arrive there?
0: Well, I moved uh, here to New York City about five years ago. Mm-hmm. I took classes uh, UCB here, at the Magnet, and uh, also at the Pit too uh and then uh, i just uh, uh got immersed in it uh, I did improv beforehand i did short form and stuff like that i did uh short form in middle school and high school and college and then I did like short form with the theater group um at different places around the country before I moved, finally moved to new york pretty much i was always always wanted to do like improv and sketch comedy i always want to be a performer i wanna to be an actor and uh i just i think I was in my mid twenties and I was like working at a theater, a regional theater out in Long Island. And the artistic director is just like, "Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Just some joke. I'm like, oh, I want to be an improv and sketch comedian. That's what I always said. But I'm just like, okay, I'm 25 now. It's like, (laughs) why am I not doing what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. So I dropped everything. I moved here. It was about five years ago. I just got immersed. So I took classes here, there, everywhere. And I just played a lot and so forth. Now I'm here, essentially. Yeah.
1: And and I'm curious. So you did Lloyd Night for a while.
0: I did Lloyd Night for about five months, five or six months. Yeah.
1: What was the process of working your way towards towards Harold and getting onto Torco?
0: It, uh, it was my first gig was actually Torco. Really? I booked Torco before I booked anything else yeah. over at UCB. Uh, that was that was fun because at Torco you do 90 minute shows, uh, which I really enjoy because I'm a stage hog and I like being on stage. Um, but then when you do Lloyd Night, you're on and off at stage in 20 minutes, 20, yeah. 22 minutes because you are supposed to do a, a tight Harold. So for me, I was just like, all right, this is cool, but it's fast, <laughs> you know, so to adapt uh, 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 the, the right amount of patience without, um, uh, uh, or, or, or shall I say, like, being tight but not too fast and then uh, realizing, although I think it's quick, not give it the patience it deserves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lloyd Net was great. I had a great time. Uh, and then getting involved with an eight-person ensemble, Torco is a four-person ensemble, and uh, you're also really just there for the work and the craft and getting a herald done. Where on Torco, you're just put, put, put up an entertaining show for people who don't know what improv is. Mm-hmm. So with Lloyd and I, we're performing for the students. They have to know the rules. They have to know it's an opening to a first yada, yada, yada. The first beat, second beat, they need to see those rules. Where when you're on the road, you just need to show them a comedy show. They paid money. They paid 20 bucks for this. They want to see a comedy show. So they don't give a crap about the rules. There are no rules to them. Mm-hmm. So we just need to give them a good time. Uh, and then those are probably the key differences, I would say, between Lloyd and Torco. And then getting on Harold, uh, it was very similar to Lloyd, except I will say Harold Knight people are a little more aggressive, the mm-hmm. players, I think, because uh, the way it works to UCB is Lloyd sort of like an incubator for Harold. Harold are the house teams, and Lloyd Knights are also house teams. Uh, but you really touch base with Lloyd before he got on Harold. And then uh, Harold's were sort of, um, uh, uh, I guess, the prouder, more confident <laughs> players can find themselves because they've been playing maybe a little longer. So when you get on Harold night, you have to realize you have to really be part of an ensemble. You don't necessarily have to be aggressive. You don't have to take focus most of the time. You have to trust that other people will will catch you. And I think there's definitely a little more uh, uh, adapting to that on Harold than there was on Lloyd, mm-hmm. if I can be candid about that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah yeah um is how many how much is the ethos on 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 harold Knight for the work of harold Knight itself how much of the ethos is for kind of looking towards weekend teams that's probably an unfair question because you have how many people on the team
0: (laughs) yeah it was eight eight people per team um i mean it's a good question i think uh when you're on a harold team you're proud yeah and then we're proud of our work. Like I'm on Team Cut, some kid. I think I think uh, I'm loving everyone. I think we're a really strong ensemble. We just got a new teammate, Monique Moses, about a month ago uh, with the new shakeups, and 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 uh, I was a new teammate myself several months prior. So we're just getting people involved and invested, and just trying to be a great ensemble.
1: I yeah. was. I'm sorry to cut you off. How was the acclamation for you as a new teammate joining a joining a...
0: Oh, it? Oh, it couldn't have been better. I was. They were vets. Like Matt Mayer was on the team, mm-hmm. who's been been uh, prized for a long time. I really look up to him like he was on Herald Night when I first started going and so forth. Uh, and I was worried it would be like a, uh, I better not fuck up, you know, because yeah. he's been there, done that. But he couldn't have been nicer and more supportive and m- like more of a guide. You know, we called him Papa Mayor because he's been around, but he was like so positive and supportive for all of us. And they couldn't have been, um, I knew a good amount of them from Torco. Uh, uh, so I think only two or three of them were strangers to me, like people I've never really worked with before. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't have been nicer and more welcoming. So I was glad that with our new member, I could just do the same. I mm-hmm. could just be like, I've only been here for a few months, but like, I just want to support and be like, welcome, like we love you, that kind of stuff. What do you think your team strength is? What what is kind of like? Uh, what's the personality of the group? I think we have a uh, uh, loud and lovable. <laughs> I think is what I'll say. I think people see us uh, when we play. They know that we get along pretty well off stage because we do. Um, I think we're pretty honest with each other, and I think we trust each other. Uh, so our, our group games are very strong, and um, we're ready to support each other. Uh, and I will say we're not – no one looks at us and thinks we do a textbook, Harold. We're not the writers. We're not textbook. I think we have a little more of an actorly energy and a little more of a just go with the flow type of energy, mm-hmm. which is sort of the, definitely what I gear towards.
1: What because it's been so long since I've uh, been to Harold Knight. Sure. Um, what is the standard against which you're being measured? Like, like how far are you able to deviate from textbook Harold before you're going to be noted about it?
0: Uh, it's a good question. I don't 100% know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest. Because I think the more you're on Herald Night, the more lenient, lenient you get. Uh, there's a team called Bucky, which is, on a, which is sort of a weekend team now. But mm-hmm. towards the last days of their Herald Night, they were just doing like mono scenes. They did mono scene Heralds. So they were Heralds, but they were mono scene Heralds. Uh, and a new team wouldn't really be given that kind of license. I think you got to like put your training wheels on first. And if you really prove, you can really ride the training wheels. Then you remove them. So over time, uh, uh, teams can like, ask the artistic director, uh, be like, hey, can we try this thing? Can we try that thing? And then uh, I think the more experienced teams get a little bit more leeway. I could be wrong about that, mm. but it seems like that's the case. So I know as a group, we've been having the same opening. We've been loving it. It's been going really well. Uh, but we might slowly but surely in a few months try to push and maybe try to do something a little less textbook. Yeah. Um, and it's because we've been on for about more than a year now. In herald terms, that's a while now because <laughs> teams, uh, 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 a lot of teams don't have more than a year as far as lifespan goes. Uh, and then we'll try to maybe push past that and try to do something else, whatever that means to us. I don't know if you ever saw a team called Sandino. Mm-hmm. You ever see Sandino play? No, no, no. Evan, you see Sandino? You, you saw Sandino. Sandino was a be house team, but they've been around for a while, and they were very, 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 like, um, energetic, uh, very non-textbook. Uh, but their heralds were just so good. Eventually, you couldn't even see any sort of three-by-three structure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it was just such a good herald, and they were so energetic and all about each other. I just loved it. And they earned that over time. They, like, walked in. They slowly but surely earned that. They walked into that.
1: Where do you fall on the uh, everything is a herald versus the herald is this one particular definition (laughs) argument, if that even is still an argument anymore?
0: Sure, I, I mean, think there's just semantics to me. I have no problem calling, like, uh, I think Delaney will call ASCAT a Harold. Yeah. You know, I'm sure I'll yeah. call it a herald. But if someone says, no, it's not a herald, it's a monologue deconstruction, I'd be like, sure, You're open to- <laughs> why not? I don't care. <laughs> just do the funny off the things, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, it's fine. To me, everything is a Herald, sure. But, but if you want to nerd out and be like, man, it's a training wheels here. That's a thing. And that's a thing. That's fine with me too. I don't really care. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it's called. It just matters if we're doing it and it's it's good. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty much my position on it too. I, I, if it
0: works, I'm happy.
1: And if it doesn't work, let's figure out why it doesn't work.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Not label it. Let's just figure out what's going on with the scene work. Right. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, everything's just a series of scenes. It's just scene work. Yeah. Um, so, like, um, I'll see a total loose mono scenes are totally heralds to me. Um, maybe, maybe not. I, I, again, I don't really have a strong stance. Yeah, to me, I think it's just semantics.
1: Yeah, my only, I, I, I don't think everything's a herald. I, you know, I think that there's a, a, a specific thing to it. But for me, it just boils down to threes are somewhere in the core of the herald that somehow there's a beginning, middle, and end to it. Totally. And, and that's pretty much it. Whatever happens in that construct of beginning, middle, and end will fit the Harold. I, 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 I've been um, in, in, thinking about this recently, that like originally Harold was just a word for unstructured Improv,
0: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: which is kind of interesting. Before that, everything was very tightly structured improv. You were tight. You were. It was. It was about running orders, and it was about the specific games that you were playing. Or you would have a spot improv, which we now just think of as as scene work, right? But Harold represented the opposite of that, and over time, the pendulum has just kind of swung the other direction, where now it's the <laughs> most tightly constructed, yeah. totally. But really, it, it it in my mind, it's just. Um, a diversity of things that eventually come together in some way and somewhere you just sense
0: beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I totally, I totally drive with that. Um, I, I definitely feel like, uh, essentially, if there's a callback, then maybe you can call it a herald, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or like one or two or if those themes, thematics are building. Yeah, I mean, I want to say the earliest heralds, like from the 70s or whatever, were just, they didn't know how many people, 10, 15 people, usually monologues maybe, uh, they didn't know how to end or not, and it was just scene work. Yeah. I think that's just all Harold was, um, versus like uh, you know, like it's, like you said, like tight games or whatever, theater, sp- whatever the Viola spollen type stuff, was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and and whatever like Johnstone stuff mm-hmm. they like, yeah. I want to
1: talk about Johnstone in a second. Sure, we were talking. Beforehand i I'm, I'm very curious to hear your, your input on it, but I want to talk about Torco for for a, a yeah, bit more. Great. so making that mental toggle and having to supply 90 minutes of entertainment so so how how does the group then approach that how, how much of a game plan do you have going into shows? How much do you know you need to accomplish? what sort of what are you doing when you get there and and what where are you playing? Is it largely college
0: it cha- colleges or performing arts centers Okay mainly colleges but a lot of performing arts centers too. Uh, I would say maybe. Three to one. Yeah. Let's say 75% of one, 25% of the other. Yeah. Um, and then I would call them probably larger heralds simply because uh, we do have a very clear beginning, middle, and end, and we do have second beats. And we revisit, we revisit certain games we have and so forth. And then we kind of try to tie it up at the end like a Seinfeld episode, essentially. Uh, we we start our first half with an interview. So we interview about the area, get some of their specifics involved, and then we use that for inspiration to do premise into scene work. Uh, and then our second half, as we have two halves, is more organic. We'll just take some text messages and we'll try to build a world out of it. Mm-hmm. And then the premises stuff start from the first half will start to creep in by the end of it, and then, and then we're done. And that usually lasts about 75 to 80 minutes, 80, 90 minutes usually with intermission. Uh, and that's essentially just a big, long herald. Uh, and we're just trying to make it, we're, just, we're not trying to trick them with any fancy sweeping or swiping or any of the fancy improv moves uh we're just trying to show them funny scenes (laughs) how how much
1: do you need to uh, explain to them at the beginning to get them caught
0: up with you we didn't at first, but we do more now simply because a lot of times short-form teams will open for us, the mm-hmm. local college group, and then they get confused because yeah. we're not doing that. So we'll just add a little blurb. One of our teammates uh, says it a lot and it's been very effective. Like, who here seen long-form before? And they raised maybe one or two raised a hand. Like, we're just going to do scenes for you just to give them a little bit of a prep because we have noticed when we open after, short-form is very high energy, very, like, they're excited to be there. And we're about to just change the playbook on them. Like, we're not going to do that. We're going we're to be a little more patient up top. We're going to just do some long scene work. And sometimes they don't buy into it as quickly as we'd like them to. So we just tell them real quick, this will be scenes, just so they know. Hmm. And it's been huge. Yeah. It's been a, That little blurb's been a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Did you read McNapier's new book? Not his new one, no. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have not. Is it good? (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. It's about long form improv. Long form, and and,
1: um, he gets in uh, pretty intense about uh, hosting and setup. Mm, Oh yeah, and and he makes a big fuss about you know back in the day in Chicago, in the early days, people were kind of would be a little bit um, too cool to explain the Harold to people. It would Mm -hmm. just be kind of like you'll get it. Yeah, and what you would end up with is an audience of like ten really rabid incestuous fans and then 40 people who are just sitting there baffled by what they're saying right and it's a great argument <laughs> just giving people just enough so that they will accept what you're doing just to, just enough to clear up the confusion that they're going in with it so they can enjoy and they can kind of meet you there it makes all the difference in the world
0: yeah i agree well i never i'm never of the school of thought that we're too cool for them yeah. ever I always believe myself to be a servant to them. Yeah. Like we owe them a show. Yeah. Right? I'm not too full of myself for that. So um, uh, definitely explain, like stand up. People know what stand up is. i have been seeing it for years. So if you go to the long form, they don't know what that is. Uh, help them out a little bit. Let them know what they're about to see. Like we are their servant. We give it to them. Yeah. So if they don't get what we're about, it's, uh, it's easy for the artist to just be like, whatever. But, but, but part of me, I'm definitely the showman. I'm like, mm, they pay. They want to see a good show. That's our job. Yeah. yeah we're, we're servants to that.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, I want to go into um, interviews at the top of those shows for Sure. Second. If you wouldn't mind, just to get really nitpicky, i mm-hmm. love to hear your mental process. When you're hearing an interview, where is your brain going to start coming up with the premises for scenes to follow?
0: Well, a good clue, essentially we try to bring, uh, we want to get someone who's honest not Mm -hmm. someone who's funny because we need, excuse me, we need um, someone to be very honest about their day and the kind of stuff they behave, how they behave and how they react. And the reason we need that is because you can't tell what's unusual or you can't tell what kind of pops out if everything they're giving you is bullshit anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every now and then you'll have someone tries to bullshit us. We have to calm them down to be like, Stop get honest tell us, did that really happen are you like vetting stuff.
1: people beforehand or you yeah. just
0: whoever raises their hand comes up we do our best yeah. uh, uh, what we've been doing is we ask for three stories mm-hmm. and then uh, whoever the, the person with the more exciting story people will vote them on the stage and then we'll use that story uh, for them to elaborate, but then we'll have to stop and be like, oh, Jenny, tell us about Jenny. Mm-hmm. And we'll have to stop a little bit throughout it and try to, uh, you know, like going down the hallway, opening up different doors, hanging out in that room for a bit, and then so they go back down the hallway, mm-hmm. and their story is the hallway. And with that, we are allowed to diversify the kind of stuff we talk about and make sure premises aren't too similar. Uh, so with that being said, with them, from, usually, usually we get a good, honest interview. Uh, a great indication is when people laugh. The audience laughs. They laugh for something. Something struck them. So we pause and we ask them, wait, blah, blah, blah. Wait, the, he, did, he just ignored you that whole time? That's unusual, don't you think? Or something along those lines. And then that will clue to some sort of behavior people enjoyed, a behavior that made people laugh. Like there's something funny about that behavior of whoever this person was that ignored person X. And I'll remember, okay, that's now a raw core behavior I can play with. And then my improv brain can either fill in the blanks. I can either heighten it, I can hit it right in the nose, which means I can put it exactly where it is, or I can analogize it, which means I can try to find a similar circumstance, but like under similar stakes, but a little bit different. I think to myself, with my comedic instinct, what of those three is probably the best way to start this scene? And, you know, you hit or miss. (laughs) And after that, you just hit or miss. Maybe it'll work, maybe it doesn't. And then usually when you start a premise that ends up not being the game anyway, the response to that premise can lead itself to a new game. You just follow that. Mm. Just follow. It's fun. And then and then there you go. Uh, game, uh, when people speak, it also lends itself to world behaviors, not necessarily a character's behavior. And you just have to listen to that and be like, oh, I like that. That, that makes me laugh. I think that's funny. Uh, and then you have a couple other people listening, too, and you hope maybe they grab one or two that you didn't grab and vice versa. Mm. So we can diversify who initiates what and how.
1: So, apart from the interview itself, there's no other opening, unlike uh, Harold.
0: Yeah, uh, other than grabbing the text messages. Yeah. But that's, again, like, organic. We just think to ourselves, like, what does, how does that make us feel? And then yeah. We go for it, you know?
1: Uh, um, and for you, do you find an opening more helpful or or kind of obstructive or you can kind of, it goes, it's you're fine both ways?
0: I'm fine both ways these days. I, I've always been more of an organic player, but I've realized recently for the last two years of my life, I've only been playing premise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, I had that realization recently. I'm like, wait a minute, I haven't been doing organic anymore. Um And because I've been doing nothing but premise, I've gotten more comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. I think just the more you do, you just get used to it. There's nothing more important than reps. So if you want to get good at premise, just do it a shit ton. Mm -hmm. And then you'll just get better at it.
1: What would be an effective way for someone who considers themselves weak in premise to kind of wrap their mind around it?
0: Well, watch sketch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Listen for labels. Mm -hmm. Labels are key. Uh, If you watch a funny sketch, usually at the beginning of the sketch, someone says what's about to happen out loud. They're always like, "Oh, this is uh, Toons is the cat uh, drives the car." <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the only sketch I can think of. Uh, <laughs> it's the
1: first sketch that popped into your head. <laughs> of
0: all sketches. That's amazing. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, you, you just, you just, uh, you know, uh, motivational speaker, or whatever. No. Matt Foley. You're like, he's kind of crazy, but he's about to give you a pretty crazy motivational speech. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what Phil Hartman says at the beginning. Uh, and then that just happens, and only that happens. Mm-hmm. Nothing gets distracted. It's just the crazy motivational speech is about to happen. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're feed, if you're trying to do more premise work, try to realize that you have to focus in on the one idea. It's almost like the way I uh, I teach it or I coach it is. It's like imagine if you're pausing something and just rubbing into one moment for a bit mm-hmm. before you can move on. Then you are allowed to continue. Mm-hmm.
1: So. Yeah, it, it, it. What you see people do a lot is try to pile unusual things on top of unusual things. Totally. So we'll lay out exactly what this behavior is, but then I am going to put a spin on the behavior, which only distracts away from it. Now, now you are left in a place of. of just kind of bafflement. You're yeah, trying to figure confused. out
0: the rules of the world that you're doing. Yeah. You're moving the legs off the house. Yeah. You had to build your legs first and then let the house just be exactly what it needs to be. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't also build a boat on top of it. Don't also uh, start doing the landscaping, just build the house. Yeah. Uh, and I think that sort of people get afraid and freaked out cause they're like, Oh, explore, explore. I've got nothing. If you relax, take a deep breath. There is more to explore. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, uh, so, so if you're leaning into premise, just, just realize when you're watching a sketch, what are all the thesis explorations? Like what, when they're exploring, how are different examples of the one thing, mm-hmm. one thing? So when then, then they would play premise, just think to yourself I'm only going to focus on one thing. That's it. And see what comes out of their mouth. That's what part of improvising and exploring is. Then they'll see how things can link to the one thing. And then they can, you know, amaze themselves, realize, oh, it was a little simpler than I thought it was it was literally just um you know uh, exploring my environment or responding to what they said simple as that that's the that's the formula i needed to add this little twang of the one thing yeah
1: is the fear i guess like the fear of that is either um, i'm going to run out of ways to do this one thing totally. or it's going to be boring for the audience because we already told them what that thing is going to be so i need mm-hmm. to surprise them but it's actually you need to find surprising ways to do exactly what you said you were going to do. Yeah, and you, the
0: catch 22 is it has to be a good thing. Right. <laughs> if you're in a bad thing, that's bad for everybody. Yeah. It's got to be a good thing. Yeah. That's like the dirty little secret. Yeah. Uh and that's where comedic instincts come in. That's where like uh, when 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 you pull something that works, that's why reps come in. Cuz you just got to learn what works and what doesn't work. You have to feel that. It's hard to sit down and analyze that like mathematics. You can only feel that.
1: Well, cuz that's what works. I mean, there are certain things that seem to objectively not work as well as others, but there are also certain things that would work coming out of your mouth that wouldn't work coming out of coming out of my mouth. Totally, there's totally. a flavor to your personality that is able to to find something wonderful where I would be just, you know, a desert. Absolutely. So I think that that's like an important thing too. That it's not just what works, but it's what works for you. The the reps are a way of finding your sensibility.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely can get, like, I'll say all sorts of stuff that'll that'll work simply because I'll play some old creep or something, (laughs) something that my type fits into, Uh, whereas one of your other teammates probably couldn't pull that off. They could pull off a different type that you couldn't pull off and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, So you coach a lot. I
1: do, yeah. What are some common problems that you've been addressing recently? And, And just to get super technical, how have you been addressing them? How have you been coaching people through it?
0: Well, I I think for me, a big thing is commitment. I know it's the note I get a lot. And I think I coach differently than how I play. (laughs) Now, uh, I definitely give out the notes I get because I see exactly what my coaches saw. (laughs) I'm like, oh, yeah, that does need to get better. Um, I think justification is also a little bit as far as like a technical thing that's always a little light because it's just so unnatural and so hard for people to do that because people don't justify themselves in real life. Mm. They just behave the way they behave. Um, so I would say those are probably the big two, is uh, commitment in your scene, uh, and then also justifying why you're behaving a certain way.
1: What about this situation, where somebody lays out a a, a clear premise, um, there's an interesting suggestion of a game to play off that premise, and then you're stuck in a situation where we never quite get to it, or, or the it, it feels like one or both of the people in the scene are kind of... Holding it back. Do you know what I'm talking about? The one sure. where it's like, here's the premise of what's going on. And then we spend the entire scene trying to choose a direction to go with it. <laughs> right. What, what would be like, what would be a clear way to, to break through that?
0: Well, it sounds like they're being a little timid. So I think someone needs to make a stronger choice. It also sounds like uh, someone needs to frame something a little harder by labeling it. Uh, and then, uh, you need to activate, 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 activate. That's a big thing I say all the time. Uh, it's not talk about something in the past that's related to it. It's when you feel your game is settled or, or you have something from the premise you enjoy. Step one is activate it. Grab the cup of coffee, add the twang to it. Let's say, um, the game is like, um, I don't know, horny neighbor, something crappy like that. It's based from some premise. Uh, you, A lot of instinct from a lot of us try to write something out. Oh, yeah, oh, last week I saw you you had sex with your hammock. It was crazy, man. That's like a, a move I see a lot. Where I would much rather see, like, yeah, yeah, anyway, can I have a cup of coffee? So we can have a little extra sugar in that coffee, mm-hmm. you know? Something that activates here and now versus something that happened in the past. Mm-hmm. For some reason, instinctually, people like to write something out when it's easier just to behave in the moment. Mm-hmm. And then, if you're on that path, then you can just explore and heighten by what, if that's true, what else is true? Move mm-hmm. on. Um, if you're there for coffee, what does that mean? Are you there for cake? Are you talking about what you're talking about your children at school? Like, what are you there for? And then, that, those are all opportunities for you to continue to heighten your emotions commitment to that, Mm. like get real into it. And then that leads to, uh, why, why is it being that way? Uh, and then that could also be found and discovered in the moment somehow. It doesn't have to be written out. You're allowed to discover it in some moment. You know, maybe uh, his, uh, later he's like, uh, they're talking about, like, it's been difficult without your wife, you know, because uh, you've been a single dad. It's like, yeah, it's been a long time for me, and I realize certain urges are coming back out of me I can't control or something. Boom, justified. Mm. And now he's allowed to continue behaving that way, and people, the audience is connected to it because they understood why he's doing that. Based all in the moment. None of it's written, none of it's from the past. It's all about the here and now.
1: Well, the writerly thing seems to be come from a really good place of wanting to play the game that's been laid out right um, but either um, either not wanting to put yourself in the vulnerable position of having to to be the butt of the game mm-hmm. or or being fearful that doing something in the here and now may not lead you to the game so right. for Absolutely. example horny neighbor if you go with um, oh can I have a cup of coffee your first instinct might be what does that have to do with horny neighbor whereas (laughs) if i say oh you were having sex with your hammock last week that was weird i'm playing your game Mm -hmm. in the abstract i'm Mm -hmm. speaking to your game but leaving both of us in a position where you're not doing it and i'm not affected by it it's just a weird thing that happens somewhere yeah it's
0: an active now you and i are exactly where we were a minute ago it's just a little bit weirder yeah (laughs) Um, it comes from fear. Yeah. Just like you said, it's a fr- uh, agreement is the willingness to change. So, like uh, you have to get used to free fall. So, like you just have to confidently behave in your moment, hoping your next, uh, not hoping, just understanding whatever your moments are. They're going to be just enough. They're going to be exactly what you need.
1: There's also because the way that I play isn't quite as tightly structured, right? There, there's, a, I think, a little bit more like give of like I don't really spell out what is weird about what I'm doing. I just kind of, like, you know. Totally. But I, I, to me, it's still the key difference between you got to do things versus stand around and wait for things to happen. And when you figure out your point of view, you figure out your deal, you figure out your game, it it almost, in a way, this is obviously, there's a margin for error here, but it almost doesn't matter what you're doing. Because if you have a strong, clear-cut thing, uh, um... Uh, you will drink your cup of coffee as a sexy, horny neighbor. You will cut onions as a horny neighbor. You, you know what I mean? Like right. It's always going to be filtered through your particular thing. Yeah. But the answer is always on the other side of just do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Do something now. Yeah. We, we need to see that behavior bounce off something. Yeah. I, th- I think at the end of the day, like, cause I'm, I'm explaining this textbook stuff. I don't, I'm not great at this stuff either. I don't do, <laughs> not, I can explain it, but, uh, maybe I don't play it so well. Uh, to me, the most important thing is be honest in your moment. So like, if your point of view is settled and your deal is settled, um, then a, 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 all an improv scene is just response versus response. Mm-hmm. Right. And so whatever you respond, I respond. I, I'm in scenes all the time where I'm like, should I respond a certain way? I'm like, Fuck it. I'm gonna respond exactly how I feel. Yeah. I respond that way and it's fine. Yeah. It usually leads to exactly where you need to go. Another response. Well I
1: love I love your choice of the word settled. That feels exactly right, that you know your thing, it, it, and giving it the time to settle is what gives you the confidence to not have to overplay your hand.
0: Mm-hmm, totally.
1: You know when you're not settled because that's when you're debating with yourself about what's what's the way to respond to this. Even if you're not thinking what's the funny way, what's the actorly way, what's the emotional way, whatever it is, you're putting this qualifier qualifier on your reaction that suggests that you're not quite settled. You haven't quite, your game, your thing has not quite taken hold of you yet.
0: Yeah. And it usually starts with how do you feel? Yeah. Simple as that. Uh, I was watching a younger improv teams the other day and it was fun. But the whole time, like, how do you feel, man? How do you, no one's telling me how they feel. Yeah. No one's telling me how they feel. And that's why it's inactive and they all seem a little lost. Yeah. You got to know how you feel. How do you feel? That's usually stuff. That's, that's the core of it.
1: I actually find myself coaching people to not justify as much. Mm-hmm. I, I run into that problem a lot—that people feel like they need to label everything that they're doing, rather than just do it and experience it and let it kind of kick up yeah. some thoughts and some feelings and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, a, where is a good place for justification, if you can even say that?
0: Word? Well, I, I think that's the difference between inventing and discovering. You know, uh, I totally know exactly what you mean. I think. At the end of the day, it depends how you're playing. Like if you're playing a tight Herald uh, and, and you're pretty practiced at it, like a very premise Herald, then sure, I think maybe justification can even be in the opening or mm-hmm. something. Um, again, hopefully it's a good one. <laughs> no, hopefully it's a good one. Uh, but it, 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 if you're just in a scene, if the whole point is to do a five-minute scene, if that's our point, there's no point to write anything up top. None of it at all. The point is to feel, and then a great justification will usually be birthed as something organic. Mm-hmm. And, and and that is the best filter for your best justification, because it was based on the truth that you and your partner were sharing. So there's no doubt that it's a good justification.
1: You're, so the justification grows out of something that actually happened. Yeah. And not your, yeah there, there, there's an element where sometimes people will pull out justifications, and it kind of... Uh, uh, you kill the baby before it had the opportunity to be born.
0: Totally. And And then some people like me, I'm maybe not the best at that, some people more writerly, they're great at that. They can do that right up top. Yeah. Whereas someone like me is a little more actively. I can't do that. i got to wait until it comes to me later. Yeah, me too. You know, right. uh, which is fine. Either or is fine. Just know whatever your strength is. Yeah. I would just like you, I would never try to invent something at the sacrifice of discovering something. Yeah. I'd never try to write something up top just uh, because it ruins anything that, comes, that could come later that's way better.
1: I, uh, I just read uh, Chuck Jones's autobiography. It's a fabulous book. I'm sorry, everybody listening. It's out of print. You can't find it. I got the last <laughs> copy at the Strand. But he made the point about, um, you know, why it is that animators animate animals and not people. And the reason is because there's just so much more humanity in animals than in people, which is a really totally. funny point. But he said that that when you think about other people, the problem is that we're all so close to each other that we just kind of, consciously or unconsciously project our biases and prejudices onto each other any slight deviation from what we consider to be like a a norm of style just makes us irritated with one another Mm -hmm. and you end up not really seeing clearly into a person's behavior but if you take a cartoon animal and then you give it uh, um, a sense of romance and lust like Pepe Le Pew right because you have that divide now, you see so clearly, okay, this is what's driving this character. And Mm -hmm. now all that character has to do is feel exactly that and be in situations where that feeling is going to get them into trouble.
0: Yeah, and then, and then the cat has to feel exactly the way she feels. She yes. has to feel uh, invaded, she has to feel creeped out, she has to feel uninterested. Yes. She's not into it. And He has to keep doing his thing and she has to keep doing her thing.
1: And I think that that's another problem sometimes you get into, or I certainly get into, if I'm feeling like things are moving too fast for me, you feel this impulse to want to cram in as much information, to want to fill in as much Backstory to fill in as much to explain your point of view rather than just thinking, oh, I'm starving or I'm horny or or, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm full of shit or whatever. It, like that one clear, simple thing mm-hmm. that you feel about yourself, that you feel about the other person, that you feel about your situation, that one thing that you're just going for no matter what.
0: Yeah. It's like the, it's a, you know, uh, it's that twang you are, you know, you're, you're Buffalo sauce. seems chicken. Just keep putting the Buffalo sauce on your chicken. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or maybe your barbecue sauce, whatever your flavor is, it's the flavor you are. Don't change. Always be barbecue sauce or always be Buffalo sauce. Yeah. Um, I also like in that kind of stuff when I'm talking to my teams. I like imagining like a bicycle card and like a, and spokes on a wheel, mm-hmm. you know, and then uh, they're allowed to be flexible. They don't have to be so hard. They deny things. Your point is allowed to be flexible, but they keep having to revisit exactly how you feel about things. Right. So just like uh, when bicycle card uh, flips on spokes of wheel. I always like when I see a scene. I like to see those two points of view doing that to each other. Exactly that. Um, I'm flipping my hands back and forth. If you can hear on the microphone, it's going. The points of view are like slapping each other like a bicycle card on a spoke. You can bend it a little bit because you have to do your scene. You still have to yes and each other, but then the cards to keeps going straight. Your point of view is back to being exactly what it was.
1: I think of that as the chorus to your character. As as you have leeway in a scene to explore other things in your verses, but you always got to find your way back to the chorus. And the chorus is always that key thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And that's where it... it, So you go too extreme in either direction. You play it too tight or you play it too loose. You play it too tight, you determine, all right, that's my game. I do that game no matter what. Right. And then you find yourself completely inflexible like a robot and thing. It just has no give. There's no surprise to it. There's mm-hmm. no pleasure to it. Right. Audience sees it coming from a mile away. In yeah. a, a, and what's interesting is when you're playing a good game, the audience sees it coming from a mile away too. Right. And they're delighted when they you want get it. to it. Yeah. When you're playing a bad game, they see it coming from a mile away. And when mm-hmm. you get to it, they feel that you're three minutes behind them and yeah. kind of dumb. They don't want it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I think it all
1: has to do with that sense of give uh, of like, part of it is the art of finding surprising ways back. Yeah. And I think part of it uh, is that there's just like a basic comedy that we recognize. This might be to me being too like, you know, whatever brainy about it. But, but I think on a certain level we recognize the comedy to, um, to how easily we do that all the time. To how easily we do come back to our habits like repeatedly. And then when you're watching it in improv, you're watching a heightened, exaggerated version of the way that we all behave all the time, which is we have our pet things. We think, we think we're enlightened enough to get away from it and make rational, decent choices and get along with each other. We make that attempt. We fall right back into our pet habits again, our prejudices, our biases, our, our right. habits of behavior. It's just you're seeing that would happen over the course of a month. And in a scene, you're watching that happen... six exchanges exactly (laughs) um how do you rehearse what do you what do you focus on you know when you're rehearsing for for your Harold team what do you find are things that are keeping you all tight together
0: uh we we always have like different uh, things we're going for so uh, over the past few months it's been one thing that one thing uh so we do scenes and we sit there and be like "Hmm, how do we focus on the one thing like what was there stuff that was distracting uh, if so, how could we have done that differently and mm-hmm. so forth? And then, and then over time, we'll move on to something else. But like our, our openings are too long. We've got to tighten our openings and then we'll focus on that. But I'm not a, I'm not a big proponent of like we're focusing on one thing today. Mm-hmm. Usually I feel we should focus on something over a matter of weeks because we should let it sink in. Mm-hmm. And over time, we'll see it improve and really hammer it in before we move on and focus on something else. Mm-hmm. So uh, we usually have like a thesis for about a month and a half and then we'll move on from and then. what else. Hopefully we 've fixed it or we've gotten better at it we'll move on to something else we feel need to work on so forth
1: um, uh, your approach to second beats how do you help people through that when they come to you and, and ask for insight?
0: Oh. <laughs> well, you have to think to yourself what what would be the name because because when when we play, we approach second beats by, by applying a game again we try used to be we try to apply the same game from the first scene. Uh, and try to apply it again in the second scene. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean heightening the stakes. You don't have to do that. It could just be a reapplication again. Again, uh, borrowing from Delaney, it's starting at the moment of discovery. So the first beat, usually a premise, a game is born from that. We've, we realize that we've learned it uh, in three or four lines. Then we played it. Second beat, the game should be the first line. There's mm-hmm. no point to dilly-dally anymore. Hit it, run. Hit it, rip it, run it, Done. So uh, uh, usually they're quicker, usually they're faster, uh, can lead to more tags, that kind of stuff. Uh, so all you do is say to yourself, if I could describe exactly what the comedic behavior in that first scene was, what was it, what, what was the stimulus, what was the response that made it happen, or what was, the re- what was the stimulus that made the certain response we wanted to see happen, and how could I affect that stimulus properly? How could I just get it running? So uh, in the last show I did two two nights ago, uh, the beats I was in was from our opening. We do a character painting style opening. Was uh, an actor, an actress who was like two, it's like a classically trained actor, but they have to do crappy work, like mascot work, that kind of stuff. Like I went to Juilliard and they have a mascot on their head. Mm -hmm. right? So first beat is I have the person at the Irish Times pub on 8th and 34th holding up that sign. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, all right, you're going to hold the sign knowing that the response will be, uh, I went to Julia, I need to prepare. And then we activate that as we see uh, how Sarah Grace Wellborn was my scene partner and she played out the game. We see how does she respond to people. Uh, and then the game moves where her respond to people and and, and, and and acting like an actor. Like, I need to know my lines, she asked me a question, I got so confused, I, I need to prepare, blah, 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 blah. So the second beat, all I have to think to myself is, how do I make that happen again? How do I make that happen again? So I just put her in a similar scenario. I think the second beat was uh, flipping the sign. Essentially, it was the same scenario. And it worked simply because they could run with it right away. Because they didn't have to dilly-dally. No one was confused. People ran. They knew. They all. We all knew exactly what, what the game was and what was going on. So we could run with it faster. It, I didn't have to heighten the stakes. I didn't have to do anything fancy. I just had to essentially put it on the same platter again just mm-hmm. to make sure it happens more. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. and... Uh, there are times I'm just like, mm, I missed a second beat on that. <laughs> I got the, got the behavior wrong. Maybe I focused on the wrong thing. Or the way I set it up was a little too unclear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try to be as clear as possible.
1: There are certain scenes that lend themselves to heightening stakes. There are certain scenes that lend themselves to exploring a new dynamic. I mm-hmm. think that if at the end of a first beat your dynamic shifts for an organic reason, right. I, you want to pick up from that shift. And then there are certain scenes that benefit from just being kind of cyclical scenes that just benefit from returning to that thing. And 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 if you if you mix and match or feel that there's one appropriate way across the board, a universal, that's when you get into trouble. And I've noticed a lot of that of of heightening of stakes in a second beat that you think is going to really play the shit out of this game that just kills the scene dead in the water. Yeah. Because now we have to explore the circumstances. And all, the behavior is gone as we're having to like sort out these circumstances. You don't need to make it more important. You can assume that it's already just as important as it was. But we need to feed more examples into it. Yeah,
0: the stereotype is second beats White House, third beats outer space. Right, right. How <laughs> you know, times we see that? Yeah. How many times is it like, uh, let's see if the president were in this situation? Yeah. Sometimes that works, but that shouldn't be a go to And just like you said, they're dynamic. If if uh, you just have to think. I I boil it down to, like, what response do we want to see? What's the response? Yeah. So I think we had a a scene where it was like a pig boy or something, and it was at home. So the first beat was the life of a pig boy at home. Let's put pig boy at school. Let's see what the dynamic is between a teacher. We don't know, but we want to see pig boy behave in a different area, in a different environment. Uh, That's not necessarily heightening. It's just a reapplication. It's as simple as that.
1: How, how consciously are you thinking all this stuff? Like when you're on stage, because it's a lot to have going on in your mind sure, while, it's you're, mathematics, while you're playing. Yeah. How much is this actively like is your, the front of your brain just lit up versus how much are you kind of like feeling these things in your muscle memory?
0: It's a good question. I do think about it, but very briefly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at this point, it's in your bones. Uh, or it's definitely in my bones just because I would play and think like this all the time. Yeah. Uh, and then, like I said, reps just makes it more and more comfortable. So it's an instinct. To be like, okay, that's this game. Therefore, that would work out. Done. Instinct. Done. Yeah. Uh, I think about it in hopefully a matter of a couple seconds because nothing is more important than listening to what's going on right now. Yeah. If you're on the back line listening to your teammates, if you're on stage listening to your partner, uh, that should always be prime directive, number one. Yeah. Uh, so everything else, I have to do it very quickly because I don't want to sacrifice my listening.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it that's another thing McNapier talks about in his book. It, in a different context, he talks about thinking uh, uh, when you're going in to do a show, thinking about the kind of show that you're doing mm-hmm. and and kind of setting your brain to like the funny frequency that you need for that particular show. Totally. And he describes it, and I, 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 I know exactly what he's talking about. It's like, is this a two-person, hour-long show that's going to require you know, real characterization and require, like, real patience? Is this a, a, a short-form show where I'm going to have to do three different games where I'm going to have to play in very different styles, so I need to kind of warm up mentally by being, like, super flexible? Am I doing a really game-focused Harold? Am I doing a really weird experimental... You know, like, whatever it is. But his, his, his point is you don't want to obsess over it and think yourself into a hole. You literally just want to spend three seconds... Imagining, okay, what is the basic thing of this? How do I get my mind to think about that and then move on and just be open to that experience? Totally. And that seems to be about the same thing to do on a, on a back line between scenes that you'd spend three seconds thinking about, all right, what do we want to see more of from that? Mm-hmm. okay yeah pig boy's vomiting boom that's it <laughs> yeah you know i'll feed pig boy some ham maybe uh, uh there's uh, also
0: the other way where i'll be two into the scene and i really had the second beat time like, oh shit i've I've lent this no thought whatsoever oh yeah <laughs> it's like it's my turn yeah uh and then honestly usually are fine anyway you just go out there and then you remember what the behavior was and then done yeah just fine just it literally it's just a reapplication not it's not necessarily a heightener so any if, if your behavior is settled, like if your point of view is pretty tight, then you can apply it to anything and it'll work.
1: When you're in that situation, when when it's your turn to get back out and you and you realize you haven't been thinking about the scene at all, right. what are you likely to go to to get yourself started again? Are you likely to, to spell something out or you're likely to, to start an activity? What, what makes you comfortable?
0: Activity, definitely. Yeah. I, I want us to behave physically without any verbs. Uh, uh, for a second, just so sort of know exactly what our physical environment is, and then usually that leads to some inspiration to where w- we need to.
1: What do to you go. mean, behave f- physically without any verbs?
0: Oh, uh, no speaking. Just okay. like um, I can't dictate what my partner says, but walk out, maybe grab a cup of coffee, whatever. Uh, put something down, fold a shirt, find some sort of physical space you can inhabit. Live in that for a bit, and then slowly let that lead into either setting up for whatever response we then want to see. Hmm. And sometimes I like that because I'm a big fan of pulling tension. It just creates more tension. So when uh, we reintroduce whatever the, the point of view or the game was, uh, it releases that tension so nicely. Yeah. And starting that place, the whole audience on their seat, you're pulling, 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 and then all of a sudden you stay like, okay, pig boy, don't eat any of these shirts, okay? And then pff, done. Because yeah. they realize they're a pig boy again, and it was released yeah. after us behaving in the space for a bit. They didn't know what we were doing. We knew what we were doing, quote-unquote, kind of. Uh, and then just releasing the tension. Third beats and callbacks. What are you looking for? Yeah, uh, for me, I'm a big connection guy. But I think uh, we're trying to do that less these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe the Herald community at UCB is, I think. That's becoming a thing. trying less connection islandy and more specifically separate beats. Just to prove that the game is strong enough. Mm -hmm. uh, Which I'm fine with. But I just love connections. I love connections. I love focusing on small things we left alone. Like when someone was dropped, someone's smallest thing said something. It was ignored at the moment. I love revisiting it later. I love, I remember I saw um, Harold years ago where someone mentioned being like, oh, that's that class. That's other stuff or something. Dumb joke real quick. Third beats. someone says, welcome to other stuff, right? And we just want to see that class. It's a fun, dumb joke that someone dropped a few scenes ago. It was not really part of any of the patterns. But I love exploring that part of the world. I love exploring other parts of the world.
1: Do you uh, coach people in effective ways that they can see connections more clearly? Is that something that that you're either good at or you're not?
0: I cannot clearly say that I'm good at that. (laughs) I see it when I coach. I'm like, come on, be the guy. Every now and then I'm like, gee, you're a cop. What other situation maybe involves law enforcement? You know what I mean? Uh, And and then they'll draw conclusions. But to say I'm effectively a good coach at that, I don't think I can say that. Yeah. Yeah. I also wasn't taught that. I think that just comes from reps. Yeah. I think as you improvise, you become more and more relaxed and you become more and more bothered when things don't connect. Like uh, I think a younger improviser is just trying to get two words out. Yeah. Over time, you become so relaxed and you're seeing you want the world to start connecting. You just want to see that happen. And,
1: and you do, it's all reps again. You get to a point where you
0: kind of can't not yeah. tie things up. Yeah, because you you'd be bored if it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> you'd be like, why did that not happen? I want that to happen. Yeah, That would make this more exciting for me if this happened.
1: I know I was taught how to close a piece. I must have been, because I studied improv for fucking years. <laughs> I know I was taught it. Sure. But I don't remember what the hell I was taught. And and in every show, there's always this thing that's like equal parts terror and and kind of excitement of like, this is going to come together somehow. <laughs> I don't know. There's always like a critical point in a show where I have no idea how the hell things are going to come together.
0: Yeah. But then your instinct, your blackout instinct just comes. Like, yes. Oh, blackout. Yes. That's very impressive. Oh, blackout. Yes. We just, for some reason we know, Yeah. Uh, for the listeners, I'm doing my blackout, blackout arm, six which is thing. A lot like yeah.
1: when you're in like <laughs> fourth grade, on a bus on like a school trip and you pass a truck and you're like asking the yeah. truck to honk the horn. <laughs> honk, honk? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then he honks the horn, he gives you a thumbs up and you flip him <laughs> off. Flip him off. And, and then what yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And then your the parents get a letter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot like that. <laughs> uh, 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 that, um, I think also that leads, I think that's also part of group mind too. Yeah. I think a really important uh, thing about uh, ensembles and discussing scene work uh, cause going back to McNapier, McNapier's has this great YouTube video out, which is like a Ted talk where he describes mm-hmm. a two person scene mm-hmm. and he describes game as like a, as a roadmap between two improvisers and their job is to now something we all understand that roadmap, but their job is to now make that interesting, make yeah. the route interesting. They know the shortcuts, they know how to communicate. That's their job. So I believe that is, uh, the job of group mind is to hold like, we know the robots, we know people blanks. But now the group mind of how, our, uh, how we behave as a team adds to that spice and those specifics. And that, and that uh, group mind leads to how we play games, how we do scene work, and then how we also end up shows. That's, that's, the, be, that's the characteristic of a team, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Someone also described it to me as a prescriptive language versus a descriptive language. Uh, I don't know the difference. I don't know which one's which. But one is like the one you learn in school. Mm-hmm. The other is the slang you develop between your friends. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hello, how are you? versus going to your friends, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Mm -hmm. Like, those are both the same thing, but one is prescriptive, one is descriptive. Right. So school is where we learn, hello, how are you? Being on teams, doing the Triple Crown Basement, you know, doing the ensemble stuff, uh, hitting the stage, that's where we turn it into, hey, what's up? Mm -hmm. That's, and I like that. I'm like, that's, I think that's a really good way of how uh, 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 you really make your scene work a little little more exciting than just that roadmap. I forget,
1: um... Where, oh no, I think I read this in Jeffrey Sweet's book on playwriting. Hmm. High context versus low context situations. Um, And and some of group mind, to me, boils down to spending enough time with people that you are in a high context situation with each other. The higher the context you have with each other, the less you need to do to communicate with one another and have people just all instantly pick up what you mean.
0: That's great, yeah
1: which just makes a, a shit ton of sense. It, uh-huh. it it it's not reading each other's minds. It it's not even developing a secret
0: language. It's just you just get used to each other. Yeah, I mean, it, how many times on on boss shows Quentin like Gone on stage and before he was about to say something you know exactly what he was about to say exactly yeah. what he was about to do exactly yeah. how he was about to start something yeah you just get that sense yeah.
1: it, and and it's it's from your brain picking up some little tiny thing that he did with his eyes that right. you didn't even consciously notice mm-hmm. but you have the context for it hardwired into your brain and all of a sudden as he opens his mouth you're right there cutting onions just like you needed yeah. you
0: to horny onions horny, horny onions <laughs> horny neighbor yeah it's also the rhythm of the show it's like your brain's like it's 15 minutes in usually blanked as this yeah uh, without you even realizing it. your subconscious will just tell that to yeah. you because that's part of group mind yeah
1: right. you know something that i'm finding very exciting talking with you is uh your passion and intensity um
0: uh i am very intense very, <laughs> i scare people off is that true <laughs> sure yeah uh I can, be, I can be aggressive without trying to be yeah just like how i speak like uh, yeah it is uh Maybe I speak a little too strongly sometimes in what you know? way like to center like physical proximity? I think I'm a very black and white person, and I play in my extremities too much uh-huh. uh, and I think most people are comfortable in the gray yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm always a I'm a little more a black and white type of guy, a little more in my extremities, yeah, and I think that could rub people the wrong way, definitely yeah. does that bother you Sure. but uh, I'm not going to change me, man. I got to be me, you know? And also I think it lends itself great for improv. What is a point of view other than being black or white about something? You got to have strong opinions. Yeah. Got to be opinionated.
1: I think I, I am too in a way, but I carry myself in gray. Like I need to warm out of gray. Once I start, like if I'm teaching a class or, or, or something, I will become extremely opinionated about stuff. But there's like an amping up period where I'm in a very neutral territory, a very, I think, kind of conciliatory uh, uh, vibe. And sometimes it bothers me that I have to do so much work to get out of that vibe because <laughs> my mind is boiling with rage and anger. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So I respect that. I respect that you, you don't yeah, have necessarily have that gray zone where you're comfortable or you're able to, to be black or white with somebody.
0: I try to just cause I want to be like uh, just a more, I don't know. I just want to be a cooler person in general. Yeah. So you got to play that gray, but my mind I'm too. I've got too many thoughts. I'm yeah. too opinionated. Middle class is dying, man. I yeah. gotta, you know, yeah. I have to have an opinion about it. Yeah. Stuff has to make me mad, you know, or stuff has make me very excited. Yeah. Uh, it's harder,
1: I think to, to, to be vocal about the stuff that makes you very excited than the stuff mm -hmm. that makes you mad, which is why it's such a good practice to learn how to be vocally excited about stuff, to learn how to articulate where your pleasures are.
0: Yeah. And I think that also lends itself to improv. I think that's why I enjoy it so much Yeah, is because there's nothing funnier than two positive people being positive about something, but very specific. Yeah. How often am I that in my personal life? You know, I, I hope plenty but maybe not enough but an improv that's success people want to see that yeah that's healthy yeah
1: positivity is such a hard thing on stage sometimes because it it feels like this um it feels like it binds you and limits you because when you're not being so 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 much of the core of comedy is aggression Mm -hmm. Uh, so much of it is about pushing pushing and exaggerating things until they break apart or to just completely absurd conclusions. Right. And when you catch the wave of aggression, there comes a point where your brain kind of toggles and you don't need to think too much anymore. You're just riding that wave. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. once you tap the spring yeah. and you get people laughing really hard, there is a point where an audience will just laugh at anything that you do as long as you do it in the right time.
0: Cuz you know exactly how you feel about you it. Cuz you know
1: exactly how you feel about it. Yeah. When you're playing positive characters, there is a little bit Uh, more of a reluctance or a little bit of a feeling of like, how exactly are we going to cause trouble by being these positive, likable characters? (laughs) Right, right. So it's something I'm actually seeing a lot less of it these days. I used to see this all the time years ago that like people were very reluctant to like anything or be Mm -hmm. enthusiastic about anything. Everything was ironic and pissy and distancing, yeah. and I don't believe that it came from a bad place. I believe that it came from exactly that of like, well, we want to get to the funny thing, which is based in some level in aggression. And I can't be aggressive if you and I are both agreeable with each other. Right. But being in scenes where people like each other and are happy being together are my absolute favorite goddamn scenes in yeah. the world. Because you get
0: to see their specifics. Yeah, Which is exactly
1: how they behave. And that's the key to it, isn't it? It, it, It's like, and if you think about it in real life, when you're passionate about stuff, when you really love something, you love the minutiae of it mm-hmm. you love the details of it you it's hold about microscope. the microscope exactly yeah. and that's the key to positivity on stage mm-hmm. that's the key to liking each other yeah. is you gotta care about the details
0: and there is a fear too Kevin Millennium calls it Yes and Candyland or something like uh-huh. that yeah, yeah, which is where people are just happy but like, yeah great we're the mall this is such it's, a lovely it day it goes nowhere it's, just blah, blah, blah. Blah. it's the cloud of happiness yeah but know. there's no specifics right. that's why you're in Yes and Candyland yes you know, uh, versus like, I'm so happy that we're in this rundown mall that went out of business. So cool, we get to sneak in all the closed shops, yeah. right? Now that slight specific now leads to a fun behavior we have where we enjoy like sneaking around closed areas and we love maybe breaking the law together yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And it's just that slight specific that gets you out of there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Like, what is two square other than people being incredibly specific at each other? Yeah. You know, uh, where John and Peter, John, John Lutz, Peter Gross are just being incredibly character specific at each other.
1: Uh, uh, now when you say specific, mm-hmm. when you're coaching somebody to be specific, what sure. are you coaching them to do more of?
0: Uh, just, um, uh, literally just like, uh, uh, kind of like, I remember like we, we did, your, I did your let it be class a so full disclosure a few years ago. And you talked about how like now you're an improviser. You're not just picking up a beer. You're, you're like looking at the beer. Maybe you're blowing off the foam. Maybe you're like drink the beer, spend the time with your beer. And for me, and then my, in my head, I drink Stella. I'm a big Stella guy, or a Heineken guy. So I'm always. So when I have a beer now, it's a Stella beer, which comes in that like um, almost like a wine glass, so it has the the stem on the bottom. That, yeah, that's very not classy, how I hold a glass. Yeah. Very classy glass, you know, because of the commercials or whatever. Uh, and now I'm not drinking the beer. I'm drinking a Stella. Simple as that. So when people have a hairbrush, or go to, I'm just like, which one? What's your hairbrush? Mm-hmm. What's your school? What's your car? You know, let's ride in a Honda is a totally different phrase than let's ride in my Mercedes. Mm-hmm. So two totally different phrases, and that represents two totally different behaviors. Yeah. What characteristics of someone, I should say?
1: That's, I think, another thing that makes me nervous. You and I were talking before we started about improvising on a set, having a completed yeah. state set and improvising. Totally. And one of the things that... that makes me feel like that would be an exciting challenge is exactly that that when i pick up a glass on stage i always know exactly what's in the glass yeah and then when you have a real prop in your hand (laughs) my glass. It's (laughs) say my glass i gotta use this glass which i guess is just like another thing of like you practice you practice using your imagination and and just doing exactly what you would do with with mimed objects but projecting it onto objects that are actually there
0: I think I'm just excited by it cuz it's a new challenge. Yeah. Just like you said, practice, like I've never done that before. You know, I'm I know, I'm uh, uh let's do it. Yeah. You know, I'm like let's figure it out. Let's see what that feels like. Yeah. You know, let's let's uh let's take the challenge on.
1: Well, that's interesting. What else excites you these days? What else is uh uh like where do you want to push yourself? Where do you want to see yourself going? Uh
0: good question. Um Excuse me. I've been doing a lot of like uh, premise and team-based stuff, so maybe I'd love to start doing more organic to improv again. Mm-hmm. Longer scenes, just a good five-minute scene with a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, different twists and turns and nuances about it. I'd love to, you know, maybe challenge myself and do a longer set where I'm never on the back line, just always on stage yep. making choices. I think that's probably my next step in my improv journey. Yeah. Um, Um, Yeah. I mean, I definitely wouldn't mind. Uh, I've also uh, been coaching a lot, and I like the idea of maybe also coaching new forms, that kind of stuff, and to delve into something. I was coaching a group recently, and and they mentioned, like, oh, do you know this show called Delilah? It's like a radio show called Delilah. Are you guys familiar with it? Delilah? Delilah? Yeah. Oh, Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm a fool, I'm not as familiar with it no, but no, I've no, listened to it recently
1: no, it's because I grew up listening to Light FM so I know all it, of Delilah's I would stay up late at night and I would listen to her give advice to the lovelorn and I, right. would, and I would root for them.
0: Yeah, and it's a great show. And then we're like, they told me that I'm like, okay, and I spent the two hours making an improvised Delilah happen. Yeah, And that was very exciting to me because we solved problems. I'm like, okay, uh, uh, she has a producer, right, that maybe chimes in every now and then. The different improvisers will do that, the character of the producer will stay the same, but the different improvisers will always play that from some time, and then they'll play other callers and so forth. And to me, uh, like, uh, uh, Answering those challenges and making that happen is very exciting to me as a coach Mm -hmm. or or do something like that. So that's also something I wouldn't mind exploring more. Try to like, you know, make something make something a little unique or different happen.
1: You travel a lot with Torco. Mm -hmm. I'm in a position. It's been like years now that uh, if I'm not performing here, then I'm teaching here. And, uh, so you, kind of get to the point where it's like, oh, I kind of like stick to my one corner of the world. You know, you don't see like new vistas and whatnot. And it's easy to begin to think that what you see every day is just kind of like, you know, what's out there. It's the norm. And, uh, uh, like you forget sometimes that like, even like those of us in the world of long form and people who kind of trace our stuff back to like Dell's approach, that's only like one small subset of mm-hmm. many different thoughts about how people can come together to improvise. So when you hit the road, it can be kind of exciting sometimes to see stuff. Like if you go to Canada, you can see some really fascinating, physical, bizarre, absurd mm-hmm. comedy. Um, and you have some experience seeing some Johnstone stuff, Keith Johnstone stuff. A
0: little, a little bit,
1: yeah. I'm curious what that's like. I've, I've only read about it. I think I have a vague sense of how they play it, it and for anybody who's listening to this you know you probably are pretty immersed in like uh new york style long form that that traces its roots back to Chicago. Johnstone's approach to improv outside of our, like, L.A., Chicago, New York, is by far the overwhelmingly popular approach to improv worldwide. Yeah, it's all over the world. Brazil, Scandinavia, you name it. And and it's, we're kind of like, those of us in our corner of the world don't really know much yeah, about Yeah, we don't know what that is. It's very fascinating.
0: And vice versa. Yeah. Uh, there are some towns, I think San Francisco and Austin are pretty big Johnstone towns. Yeah. So they've got... The Chicago roots and Johnson roots, so it's interesting to see them coexist that way. But here in New York, no, there's no Johnstone. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to find. I think in L.A. there's even a little bit more Johnstone than here. Yeah.
1: What does it look like? I know it's narrative based.
0: Yeah, it's like a, it's like an improv. It's more like improvised theater, not really like improvised long form comedy. I would say so. Like, again, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, the big theater is Loose Moose in Canada. That's where mm. Johnson does his stuff. My old partner was very more versed mm. in that. Uh, he. um I, I was at the Hartford Improv Festival recently and I saw this great Harry Potter show and they were a Johnstonian group out of New Hampshire. I wish I could remember their name. I have to look it up. They were a lovely group. They did a great show. Uh, they had they had robes, they have costumes, you know, you got props, that kind of stuff. Like if you're in a Johnstone show and you play doctor, you have the white coat and you got the stethoscope. Where we, New Yorkers, would just be like, well, if there's you have a stethoscope, where's the bench? Where's the... You know, uh, um, mm-hmm. where, where's the clipboard? Where's, your, you know, where, where's all very, the other stuff? We're very anal retentive yeah. about consistency yeah. and purity of our <laughs> fake, pretend objects. Yes, yeah. it's yeah. all gotta be fake. Yeah. Nothing can be real. Where they have a set amount of props and stuff. And it was a great show. Uh, it seemed, uh, I think they rehearsed differently. It seemed like uh, their version of improv is like the dialogue and the response uh, is always going to be new. Mm-hmm. But I feel their beats might be uh, uh, worked uh, as an ensemble. I think their beats are pretty uh, developed through some sort of rehearsal process that I'm unaware of. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting stuff. Yeah, And I, I also read some statistic or something that said that I think seventy five percent, if not more, of Canadian drama all comes through a process of improvisation. Like all their new plays, all stuff comes out of Toronto and oh, and, and, and uh, Edmonton and all that. Yeah. Uh, the the, the m- all that stuff is developed through an improv process. I'm sure it's a very similar process mm. to like John Stoney and that kind of stuff. Mm. I wish I knew more. Yeah. <laughs> that's also something I'm curious to explore. Simply because I'm a big old nerd and I want to
1: learn. His books are well worth reading. and Impro. Uh, yeah. Impro and Impro for Storytellers. Mm-hmm. And there's some tidbits in Impro for Storytellers that are like first rate. Like just acting advice that you can pull out on your feet in the middle of a show that are really, really helpful. Even something as simple as like making emotional sounds just quiet enough where you can hear it but nobody else can hear it is a way to make your performance come alive. you Yeah. Right, it's like really right. interesting, yeah. But the book itself is actually just a manual for how to perform <laughs> the different formats that he's created. Right. And having not seen them, yeah, uh, you can extract like individual pieces that are very useful. But the sum total uh, is baffling.
0: It's. I mean, a lot of it's. I mean, the older stuff is. It's all like that's theater sports essentially. Yeah. Also, there was a show on NBC a couple years ago called How to Live Your Life or something like that. Mm. Uh, I know Craig Kakowski was on it. Fred Willard hosted it. It was some. Uh, at first glance, you'd say it's a short-form show, but it's a, it was a Johnstone form. Yeah. It was totally a Johnstone form. They just took it and turned it into a TV show. I think the point was someone would talk out their life and the improvisers would recreate it a certain way. Yeah, uh, It was very interesting stuff. Yeah. I definitely would love to explore more of that.
1: I Last time I was in uh, Toronto, I was hanging out with some people in a workshop, and um, it was really interesting, their approach to the opening of their scenes is very different from our approach to the opening of our scenes. How so? They start at the beginning, whereas we start in the middle. Right. Uh, so they'd open a
0: door. They love opening yes, doors. Yes, they open doors. <laughs> right. They, they love getting the coffee started. They yes, don't want to serve it. That's they have exactly to let it cook right. first. got to make it. Yeah, yeah, they got to make the coffee first.
1: Actually, that's... Yeah. That's Is that not. what happened? No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. But that would—that sounds like something I would do in a show. Right. It's just like make yeah. coffee and then for the whole rest of the show. Like mm-hmm. the show's over when the coffee's
0: ready. Do you want coffee? Great. It'll be about 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just got to get started. Yeah. I got this new Keurig. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get it started. You're joking, but that would yeah. be right up my alley. I love it, man. man. I'd, I'd do it. that too. Yeah. I'd love that because it's real. Yeah. Because of course it's real. How often do you go somewhere and the coffee's already ready? They got to make it.
1: Well, I think I love... I love it because it's real. I love it because it gives me time to settle into my points of view, too. Yeah. I Like, I, I love in-between times. Love it. Mm-hmm. Waiting scenes, love them. Yeah. Crazy for them. Because it just gives you the opportunity to kind of feel whatever weird thing is going on between you and the other people on stage.
0: Yeah, and the tension just builds. yeah you're so allowed to release more tension, yeah. bigger release. But they
1: will start at beginnings of scenes, and then they, they look for tilts in the scene. They they look to deliberately now change the dynamic of the right. scene to lead them to where we would probably start. So they don't start in nearly as a reactive a uh, uh, headspace as we do. But there's a lot more uh, like fantastical element to it mm-hmm. as well. Like we will tend to focus more on like even in like really gamey absurd premises, sure. there's like slice of life characters that we will have being affected or, or traveling through these weird worlds they'll live in much more of like a fantastical landscape to begin with it'll be much more of like the crusading Knight entering into the woods to look for an adventure to have right and then you'll meet a character that tells you what path to take and what you're going to find yep. whereas we would start already in the middle of the, path. In the middle of that yeah, path.
0: settled but I like it and I imagine it leads to a lot of stuff that maybe it's contradictory but no one cares about it right
1: if it well it comes back to that thing like if it plays if it's it, it, i mean it, to me it, whatever style you you're playing it, the one thing that like all styles seem to have in common is if it's exciting to watch and it's present and uh uh and it's funny then it cares. works gives a shit it's it start yeah. before the beginning start a prequel scene I don't give a shit <laughs> if it's funny it. and it's interesting it's fine with me
0: yeah episode 1 Phantom Menace is the best one <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact, folks. <laughs> That's <laughs>
1: Stefan Chouette. You heard him. He quoted it. That's Stefan. Thank you for talking, man. Hey, thanks a for a having me. Had, yeah. I appreciate it, guys. And thank you all for listening. A couple of other big thanks, as always, to our producer, Evan Ford-Barden, to our engineer, Grant Michael Goldberg, to our executive producer, Ed Herpsman, and to all of you fine folks for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a positive rating on iTunes. Uh, we would certainly appreciate that. If you didn't enjoy the show, hey, Thank you for listening to the whole thing anyway. It's very kind of you, and we also appreciate that. I've been Lewis Kornfeld. Our guest for the day has been, one more time, Stefan Chouette. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 bye, bye. bye. You've been listening to The Magnet Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theatre for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.